0: Hello, my name is Adam Eason and welcome to episode 62 of Hypnosis Weekly. Friends, and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a back of the net goal busting first of the new year show lined up for you today. So it may be frosty and crisp outside my office as I record this, but it's warm and toasty inside here. Let's get to it. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with my guest Paul Hughes. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal, subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media. And boy, am I ever going to do that today! We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Paul Hughes. We'll be talking about his extensive experience of working with people diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome and examining how hypnotherapy can help those people. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go and give us a favourable rating, perhaps even a review at iTunes. I'll be your BFF if you do. First of all, today is this week's interview. Um, I'm sad to say that I missed Paul Hughes' presentation at the UK Hypnosis Convention last year, but colleagues of mine who attended spoke very highly of it. Paul and I had been in contact before anyway, and we had a small talk whilst we were there at the convention, and I'll be honest, Uh, I really wanted him on the show so that I could catch up on as much of that missed presentation as possible. I invited him on and uh, asked if we'd be able to cover that topic in the second half of today's show. And he kindly agreed. And I'm so pleased because there's some gold in our latter discussion um first let's get to know a bit more about paul his approach uh, with this week's interview so for now get comfy my friends turn up the volume sip on your tea enjoy this week's interview so as i've just been discussing i'm delighted to welcome to hypnosis this week's guest the one and only mr paul hughes mm-hmm. paul welcome to hypnosis weekly Thank you, Adam. Hello there. Um, So tell us a little little bit about yourself. First of all, tell us, us how did you get into this field? Um, What's your background and how have you arrived at where you are now? Okay, Um, I was a real reluctant
1: convert to this kind of thing. Um, My mother was an alcoholic and bipolar and it wasn't a great experience growing up in that environment. No. And um, I was a very angry young man. But, you know, counselling was for the weak and hypnotherapy was for weirdos. (laughs) Until finally, aged about 35, I ran out of road. There was just nothing else to be done with all this anger except take it to someone who could possibly help. And so I went to a counsellor and then to a hypnotherapist. And I found the experience so amazingly transformative that when I became very, very disillusioned with teaching, I woke up one morning and thought, why not? become a hypno well why not become a psychotherapist or a hypnotherapist mm. and I found a course that combined the pair mm. um and so I began the four-year path to UKCP accreditation Great. and uh well here I am now I think I'm in my fifth fifth year of full well not quite full-time practice but fifth year of being
0: qualified yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. And, and the field's all the better for it. The field is definitely all the better for having you in it, Paul. T- oh, t- tell, us, tell us about, you know, where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned? So that is, you know, how do you define hypnosis? How did you arrive at this definition? And is there a difference in the way in which you explain hypnosis to your clients and, you, and your own individual conceptualization and so on? Um, tell us a little bit about where you're at with that.
1: I think there has to be a bit of a difference between your own concept concept of hypnosis and what you explain to clients because no one has ever fully proven what hypnosis really is. Mm. You yourself gave a rather good talk at the conference we both went to in London yeah. and you established that hypnosis is definitely not relaxation. They may be concurrent, but they're not the same thing. Um, I think clients need a rather more definite idea of what it is if you spent half an hour meandering through the different possibilities and the different theories, then perhaps you would cause a lack of confidence.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I believe hypnosis is suggestibility. And I believe it's suggestibility contained within a variety of different states. Mm. Um, We have people who use confusion as a means of induction, the handshake example. There are people who will use... Um, a narrowing of focus or a great broadening of focus into an overload scenario where at some point um, the critical factor, whatever that may be in real terms, whatever we call the critical factor is suspended to a certain extent and therefore we are in a suggestible state. Hmm. Uh, my, my sister, when we were kids, she discovered that if she crept into her parents, our parents' bedroom first thing in the morning when they were dozing she could ask them questions that normally to which the answer would be no and the answer was magically yes and she used this to (laughs) great effect um i didn't discover this and i didn't even attempt it after i wasn't brave enough to try but um yeah she discovered that worked so the hypnopompic state the hypnagogic state confusion shock awe i think there's all states which are rather different in themselves but which contain suggestibility as a as an ingredient I don't know how that sits with you because you've done a lot more reading about this than I.
0: Well, well, heck, heck! It's it's not about me today. It's all about you and what you think, and I'm fascinated in that. And and I wish, I wish, I wish, I had discovered this um, <laughs> uh, this about my own parents when I was a small boy, um, um, and got into the bedroom and asked for that BMX uh, at that time mm. of the morning. Um, um, so so t- tell us a little bit about, about some of your influences within this field then. Um, um, what are your major influences in this field? What are the, uh, the books, the authors that have taught you the most, perhaps the teachers that have been most influential upon you and some of the reasons why?
1: I like clarity. I like simplicity. And so Good. I am drawn to those authors who try and make things eminently readable and understandable. Yeah. Um, I really liked reading. Was it Heller? Ma- Monsters and Magical States. Yes, because I do yes. believe, as I explained earlier, that hypnosis is contained within a variety of states. And I like clients who find themselves engrossed in their own emotional state in the in the therapy room, and using that and utilizing that to lead them into hypnosis. They're taking themselves there anyway. So I like Stephen Heller a lot. Yeah, what I've read of his. Um, Other simple people like Yapko. Yep. He wrote a comprehensive book, Trance Work. Was it just called Trance? I forget now. No, no, you're
0: right, Trance Work, yep.
1: And it was all just laid out. And what I also liked about him was that he is undogmatic. There is no you-must-follow-a-12-step path to working with parts. You-must-follow-a-6-step path reframe this is my way and it's the best way and i'm going to charge you 500 pounds to go on a one day course to find out exactly what it is um Mm -hmm. i like authors who are very simple very straightforward trevor sylvester word weaving that's a really nicely written book he's got such a lovely style about him
0: yeah 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 he has i've got a lot of time for trevor uh, former mm. guest on the show. Um, um, I do like. Um, I'm, I'm a real big fan of people making things simple and communicating simply. Um, I find the the no small irony in the fact that um, lots of lots of people within this field, lots of authors within this field, um, overcomplicate things. I think. Don't they? Um, um, and e- even some of the terminology that proliferates these fields um, is is you know seems seems that way. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you there. Um um you know it's it's lovely to hear. Um tell me tell me wh- within the years that you've been working within this field um what what has been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you have directly witnessed Paul? The most impressive
1: was actually a case of self-hypnosis. Mm. I was on a course with Sharon Mustard. Um she was running her two-day or was it one day? Well whatever. She was running a course on fertility working with fertility and hypnosis. And some some delegate or other woman suddenly realized that when Sharon was demonstrating something or other, this woman's hearing <coughs> came back. Mm. This woman's hearing came back. She'd been deaf in her ear for several weeks and had no idea why. She imagined it was wax or whatever, and she was going to see her doctor. But in in whatever Sharon was doing, Sharon unlocked the memory that this woman had been talking on a phone to someone who was delivering something that she didn't want to hear. Mm. And she had told herself that she didn't want to hear this and had turned herself deaf. And, um, hearing that story and watching that woman's hearing come back in that ear, that was probably the, the thing that impressed me the most.
0: Yeah. In, yeah. In, in yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. Fascinating stuff. Really fascinating stuff. Um, If we could, if we could wind the clocks back, um, if you could go back to when you started out as a hypnotherapist, uh, Uh hypnosis professional working in this field, knowing the stuff that you know now, is there anything that you would do differently? And if so, um, would you would you share that? And is there any advice that the person you are today would give that younger you that you'd extend to our listeners uh, and hypnotherapists of today?
1: I think I would if I could go back in time two things. First of all, keep it simple. Um, because I have a, a tendency to try and overcomplicate things in all areas of my own life. So um, I would tell myself, it doesn't have to be complicated, keep it simple. I learned that a couple of years in, I think. Yeah. Secondly, I would tell myself just to relax. If you're doing the right things, then, then success will come. Yes. Um, I tend to operate from a position of scarcity, whereas others operate from a position of abundance. So even now, I've got 54 clients on the books, and I'm thinking, I want 60. I want 60. (laughs) It always has to be more, more, (laughs) more. Yeah. Um, Yes. So I would go back and tell myself to A, relax, and any student. I, I do train for the NCHP, the National College of Hypnosis and Psychotherapy. Yeah. And so many students get themselves tied in knots because they tell themselves they can't do it perfectly, they can't memorise this procedure. Hypnosis and its application are a set of core principles. And once you understand those core principles, i.e., what you definitely should not do, the different path to hypnosis, what your definition of hypnosis is, once you understand those things, then how you deliver it is between you and your client, what works best for both of you combined as a relationship. And also, I suppose, I forget the precise reason why I opted for hypnotherapy as opposed to, I don't know, gestalt counselling or something something else. Mm. Um, I think it just seemed all so clever. Yeah. And I like, sometimes fall into the trap of fe- fancying myself to be oh so clever. Um,
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate your candor.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, it's a relationship you build with the client that does the majority of the work. In any form of therapy, that yeah. rapport is at least, by well my view, I think it's been researched, at least half of the efficacy of any therapy is rapport. So you can be as clever as you like. Um, it's down to that basic relationship. Yeah. And so any I'm meandering now, aren't I? I've gone quite off track. No, and no, so no.
0: I, I, you know, I, I really agree with, with, with what you're saying here.
1: So, my advice to any student would be to focus upon whatever it is that builds that rapport. Um, because everything you do in a therapy room is suggestion. Every single thing. As was it, Marissa? What was her name? Marissa Pears in London.
0: Right, okay.
1: The American lady. She was explaining that her everything is suggestion. Ah, yes,
0: okay. yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Melissa Tears.
1: Melissa Tears, oh dear. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, Sorry yeah, yeah, that's right, okay. Melissa
0: yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah 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 um um but you know what i <clears throat> i love this idea and i think a lot of people lose track of of some of those sort of fundamental notions of developing a really good quality working alliance with their clients um and and you know based upon that you know that is shown to develop the efficacy of of what we're doing in the therapy room you know that, that in and of itself um, yeah. will we'll increase the effectiveness of what we're doing. So absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, 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 tell me, what, what are some of your thoughts about um, um, evidence-based approaches to hypnotherapy and perhaps treating hypnotherapy as, 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 as a, in more of a sort of scientific way or manner?
1: I must say that research isn't really my thing. I'm all for evidence-based therapy. Yeah. But if you stuck only to evidence-based therapy, how many techniques would you be able to employ, and how many different conditions would you be able to treat? I mean, NICE approves of hypnotherapy in the treatment of IBS, and that's it. Yeah. Are you going to take NICE and its and its grading of hypnotherapy in, with different conditions as being the the standard, and therefore restrict yourself at a whole well to IBS? Um, I think the NCH website lists two or three conditions, perhaps pain, anxiety surrounding asthma, and something else as having been fairly solidly shown to be open to hypnotherapy.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And so I'm all for evidence, but, if you, but uh, if you restrict yourself only to using that which has been proven by some uber authority, then naturally you're restricting yourself quite intensely. Yeah. And yeah. I must admit... Um, bearing in mind previous aspects of this conversation, I'm not particularly enthralled to experts in general. I have a a rather large distaste for anyone who calls himself an expert or an authority, including when sometimes it's um, a label imposed on me. So before the conference, I was termed the expert on hypnotherapy and Asperger's. I don't feel an expert on anything whatsoever.
0: Right, right, right. Um, Just making a quick note to myself there about your introduction. (laughs) So... uh,
1: so I will, I'm will. i big on pragmatism. If you find it works, then keep on doing it. And if you can convince someone to do some research, then go ahead and do that. But bearing in mind our previous segment on rapport, how on earth are you going to scientifically test whether a certain therapy or a certain technique is efficacious while stripping rapport from the equation?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean one of the things I, I talk about often, one of the things I make I make reference to, of course, you know, in a, in a laboratory when something is being tested, and they're doing their best to extrapolate as many of the the, the, mm-hmm. the, the variables as possible, um, um, uh, you know, the, the 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 protocol, whatever is being. Whatever is being tested, the the protocol will have to be standardized. And thus, yeah. you know, there is there is pretty uh, typically there is a lack of the sort of working alliance that we have in the therapy room or that we look to establish in the therapy room. With that yeah. in mind <coughs> with that in mind um i'm um, surely we ought to be getting far better results in the therapy room um than 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 some of the uh, evidence would suggest that's conducted in laboratory settings and so on yeah i think so um um, but yeah heck it 's the reason that they they do their best to extrapolate and, and look at the variables with regards to measuring expectancy to rule out expectancy and make sure that that 's not influencing the outcomes and so on um, mm. um yeah I really appreciate that it's, it's 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 really useful hearing about you and your approach because i'm 'm I'm, I'm really excited about talking to you um um, um uh, it, it, with with the, the the level of experience you have um um uh, in in dealing with asperger's syndrome you know I will not call you an expert <laughs>
1: um
0: and, but just for now paul where can people go to learn more about your work your approach to hypnosis and so on
1: it's pretty self-contained within my website which is uk. i'm sure you'll be placing that link for me um on this yeah. podcast yeah yeah um, but I do intend next year. I'm a teacher by trade. I've spent 19 years, and I've only just finished um, teaching. Um, I'm a teacher by trade, so I do intend next year to start doing some CPD courses on this on this subject. Great, there seems to be quite a market for it.
0: Yeah, great, great, great. Well, I'm really looking forward to uh, to speaking to you about that in a short while. Um, for now, there will be a link um, to Resolve um for you to go and have a look at this uh, episode. Um, web page on the hypnosis weekly website we'll be back with paul hughes in just a few minutes time i really enjoyed that more from paul later onto this week's hypnosis in the news then just a single story that i want to talk about today mainly because there is just so much that i believe is wrong with it that anything more would be overload for a single podcast edition. So an episode of the TV show Dr. Phil has an accompanying website article that leads with the title A Lawyer Convicted of Hypnotising and Assaulting His Female Clients. Um, There's an initial video clip uh, of some of the highlights from the show and there's a number of bigger clips that you can get sent off to 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 watch and so on um, of of people that feature in the show um, giving accounts um, and accounts of a number of other people who have had um, some unpleasant experience with an attorney named Michael Fine. Um, um, As you'd expect, the music used, the imagery, the lighting, the tone and everything else is designed to create a sense of drama and gesture. And frame this whole thing in a very particular way. The key issue that I have is this: really, the accounts of the people with regards to hypnosis are incredibly inaccurate. They are misleading. They are misplaced. They all focus on a simply incorrect notion of what hypnosis is and how it's being conceptualized now i'm not condoning the attorney's behavior he got convicted and is now serving a 12 year prison sentence but how much of what he did was truly because of hypnosis or of him wielding hypnosis uh, for, for 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 you know in 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 this sort of Svengali-like manner that gets portrayed within this show. The things being claimed here in this show cannot be done, you know, wielding hypnosis. And as hypnosis professionals, I think we need to stop these sort of messages making their way into the public somehow. Firstly, there are many people within these these clips that are suggesting that or, 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 that, that that hypnosis is being done against their will, that they are somehow a sort of passive recipient. Now, you know, we all know hypnosis is collaborative. A hypnotized individual must engage their own imagination. They must use their own cognitions. They must create a level of self-deception even at times. They must respond and react to the suggestions given. They are an active agent in the process. As I've said before, they're not a docile automatron responding in a machine-like fashion to all suggestions that are being given by the hypnotist. Hypnosis depends more on the efforts and abilities of the subject than on the skill of the hypnotist. And, you know, that's, that there's a strong evidence-based supported fact there. You know, you just need to look at the work of Hilgard 1965 that's been replicated. Subjects also retain the ability to control their behavior during hypnosis. You know, Um, 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 Stephen Lynn, uh, Rue and Weeks, 1990 wrote about this. Um, um, So, you know, not only do they retain the ability to control their behavior during hypnosis, to refuse to respond to suggestions, they can even oppose suggestions. Um, Secondly, you know, a lot of people... Um, um, often portray hypnosis as as is done within this story that they have no memory of what happened um, um the, the hypnotherapist that they got onto the show even defends this notion that hypnotic amnesia can occur um, um but you know that's something which can happen completely without hypnosis um, um and, and this hypnotherapist suggests that everything that's being suggested within this show can happen when it really can't hypnosis cannot be wielded to make people not recognize not be aware that their underwear has been tampered with you know if if they truly were not aware that their underwear was being tampered with that is, then it wasn't hypnosis you know evidence suggests spontaneous amnesia is actually rare you know simon and Salzburg um, um and provided evidence to support this in the 1980s and you know the unwanted occurrence of spontaneous amnesia is very easily prevented. Um, um, Other means of manipulation are at play here, you know, as Dr. Phil himself suggests, you know, the desire to please, the social context, the powerful role, you know, like I said, Dr. Phil quite rightly suggests that a number of other things contribute to making these individuals vulnerable. Yet such a thing does not make as good a headline as using the word hypnosis which, um, which, which they've plastered everywhere so they use hypnosis and the connotation around it to create this intrigue this drama and to lean upon some popular misconceptions of hypnosis then later on they actually state that it was really a combination of things that were at play here and that annoys me I've got to be honest Thirdly, there's a female judge on the show who claims that um, um, this man tried to influence her too by waving his pen in an unusual fashion, as some sort of induction that that took her over, like the eyes of the snake from the Jungle Book. You know, but but come on, suggestions can be responded to with or without hypnosis, and the function of a formal induction really is primarily to increase. Suggestibility to a very minor degree. You know, it's negligible. You just need to look at the work of Barber and Hillgard in the nineteen sixties with regards to this. You know, the people featuring in this show talk about almost like a blackout like experience. And I'm really sorry that they had that experience, but that's not a hypnosis. Hypnosis is a cognitive, active procedure. Most hypnotized subjects do not describe their experience as trance, but as focused attention on suggested events. Um, um, And, you know, read the study by McConkie from 1986 to support that. You know, and as I've mentioned on this show before, hypnosis is not a sleep like state. You know, Eva Banyer's work um, from the 70s and the 90s, you know, demonstrated that um, incredibly well. Um, um, And and heck, those of you that want to know more about any of these studies, um, go check out our online advanced hypnotherapy courses or something like that, you know, but your diploma courses and your diploma level training should have been highlighting all of this stuff anyway. But this entire show preys on fear. It uses misinformation to portray hypnosis in a way that will worry and wrongly create fear just so that they can add drama to their TV offering. And it maddens me. What is it with people called Phil harming the image of our wonderful Phil? First, we had Philip Schofield on ITV's You're Back in the Room and now Dr. Phil in the US. You are both on my blacklist for what that's worth. (laughs) Okay, links to this particular media story is listed under this week's podcast entry on www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Okay, next up, uh, we have this week's professional discussion then. Um, And I welcome back Paul Hughes. Um, As Paul explains, his daughter, was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome and as he found out more about it and he started he found that he started to work with more people who had also been diagnosed with it um, and, and as I mentioned earlier I was really keen to discuss this with Paul for a number of reasons that will become apparent I think as you listen. Working using hypnotherapy with people who have been diagnosed with Asperger's that's what we discuss here it's fascinating stuff here is this week's professional discussion with Paul Hughes. Enjoy. So I'm back with this week's guest, uh, Mr. Paul Hughes, and um, I was was really sad at this year's UK Hypnosis Convention. Um, I had to leave early on Sunday morning, um, and 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 I missed uh, Paul's presentation. And some of my colleagues and friends were there and spoke incredibly highly of it. And it was one of the main. Uh, motivations for me wanting to get Paul to come on the show um um, to to really just explore his subject matter and that was that he spoke about um um, being a hypnotherapist and working with people that have been diagnosed with Asperger's and um with with that in mind um I I, I really wanted to to talk to Paul about that um Paul welcome back first of all um can you can you just for, for anybody who who is who is not aware can you just tell us a little bit what what actually is asperger's syndrome first of all okay well it's a
1: developmental disorder which is acquired from birth there used to be some suspicions that it was something which was caught through mmr vaccines around the age of 2 for example but now it's pretty firmly established it's a genetic Genetically acquired condition in utero, which begins at birth and lasts a lifetime. And it's characterized by what Lorna Wing, I think in 1981, yes, in 1981, um, called the triad of impairments. Mm. Um, so on the one hand, you have social interaction, which people with Asperger's or what is now called high functioning autism um, is problematic. For various reasons, we can go into in great depth if you wish. So, for example, um, people with Asperger's will commonly, not always, find eye contact. Very problematic. It's an overstimulation. It will feel physically uncomfortable. And, of course, anyone who doesn't meet your eye will appear, typically, to be shifty and therefore untrustworthy. Um, They will not be able to read with the same facility. And, again, this is a stereotype. They're not all... Suffering from the same aspects, body language, and again, as any hypnotherapist knows, ninety percent of our communication is non-verbal. Is it ninety percent? Well, anyway, it's a large percentage of our yeah, communication sure. is non-verbal. And if you can't read that, or if you are, I was sitting, I was, I was with a a, a client with HFA Asperger's a few weeks ago, who was just sitting there scratching his balls mm-hmm. while he was talking to me, and of course. I didn't bat an eyelid because I'm fully aware he didn't mean anything by it. But you and I would not do that because that would be seen as being inappropriate. But why is it inappropriate? There's no good reason for it to be inappropriate. Um, It's just a social convention that scratching one's genitalia is seen as being a bit rude. But there's no good reason for it. It's just a part of the body. Um, So that's one part of the child of impairments
0: I I am now going to use that 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 line of argument um to to make it okay (laughs) to scratch my balls wherever I go from now on
1: I'm glad I can help (laughs) um uh, yeah me too actually because I'm rather sick of having to do it (laughs) um what else uh there's so there's communication And actually, the DSM-5 has merged these two together because they're quite hard to tell apart sometimes. Sure. So, communication. So, stereotypically, the person on the autistic spectrum and Asperger's and the high-functioning end of um, autism occupies the top 10% of autism um, in terms of intellectual ability. Yeah. I missed this out earlier, yes. To be diagnosed... I'll come back to that, never mind. Uh, so the second criterion, the second, triad of a, the second part of the triad yeah. is communication, which I seem to be exhibiting rather well in the last 30 seconds. <laughs> um, so idiom, metaphor, irony, sarcasm, these are things that you and I have learned from a young age to detect. Yeah. But those things will often pass by the person with Asperger's or HFA. Right. And again, a great deal of our communication is in the tone of a voice, yeah. and many people with Asperger's can't read that, or they find it more difficult, and they have to learn it. It's like learning French to a high degree, but not fluency. You're always having to concentrate and try so hard, and it's exhausting. Mm. Um, they won't be able to read the intonation of a voice, and so you know people will lay themselves open to manipulation. Mm. To being bullied at school, through being encouraged to do bad things because it's okay, because they're desperate to please quite often. And the third part of the trial of impairment is imagination. There are some people who cannot visualize. There are some people who who don't have an internal voice. I've met a couple of people with Asperger's who don't have an internal voice, and so they externally um, vocalize their thoughts, and it drives their relatives mad yeah um imagination in terms of flexibility i don't know if you've seen uh, the big bang theory but Sheldon's spot where he yeah. sits on a certain part of the sofa and no one yeah. else must sit there and his world collapses if he can't get to eat i don't know taco on taco tuesday yeah um so some people with asperger's become incredibly routine bound incredibly dependent upon predictability in their lives and of course people in the world is not predictable and this will cause them incredible stress because they try and keep their world very safe very predictable and people aren't predictable people say things they don't mean people say things oh, I'll see you tomorrow I'll call you tomorrow and they call the day after and that really aggravates a lot of people with Asperger's I hope I've been rather rambly the last five minutes But it's that social interaction, which is difficult, communication, which is difficult, and a degree of mental flexibility. And what makes this difficult for therapists, maybe I'm leading into your next question, is that globalisation is very difficult for many people on the autistic spectrum. So if I learn a skill to play basketball, I will understand immediately and intuitively that I can apply those same skills to netball. Yeah. And many of your clients will find, oh, if I can be confident here, then I can take those same skills and apply them over there. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't work in quite the same way with many people with Asperger's. They can't globalize so easily. Mm. So you have to be very directive as a therapist. You have to, be, you have to make sure that you are very illiteral um, often. I mean, there are many people on the autistic spectrum who do understand idiom and metaphor and intonation and pitch and tone, but they have to work a lot hardware in the main
0: yeah 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 um this is fascinating i'm I'm, I'm going to explore some of those some of those areas in a little bit more depth in a moment um but but just tell us if i just take a a very slight step sideways or or even slightly slightly backwards for a moment tell us how did you come to develop an interest in this area at all okay well i remember 10 years ago making asparagus jokes or
1: asperger's jokes well this wasn't 10 years ago maybe 12 years ago you know, laughing along with my teacher friends etc etc not at students because i didn't know anyone with asperger's or at least i didn't know i knew someone but then it so happened that my eldest daughter um was diagnosed by the age of three with asperger's right and that was horrific I yeah. thought that was the end of the world. I responded to that as if my child had cancer or something. And in fact, I, I recall denying it for a long, long time. Oh, not my daughter. She can't have that. Look, she can look me in the eye and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But uh, obviously, after a while, uh, A, my wife was sufficiently pissed off to force me to do some reading. B, the evidence began to mount as Alice grew older, and see, you know, it really isn't so bad. In fact, it's not bad at all. People with Asperger's are, in the main, a lot more lovely than your typical neurotypical. On average, I'd say I like people with Asperger's a whole lot more because one of the things that typifies them, stereotypically, because they somewhat lack or find a theory of mind more difficult, they find it more difficult on average to lie. And they say what they mean, and they say what they think, um, which doesn't always help out with socialisation. So anyway, I find them incredibly honest and open and beautiful individuals in the main. They can learn to lie, they can learn to be devious, and I'm sure there are some thoroughly unpleasant types out there. But the people I meet tend to be gorgeous. Anyway, so yes, Alice um, was diagnosed with Asperger's by the age of three, which is quite... Uncommon to be diagnosed so young, I'm still discovering individuals and recommending they get themselves assessed in their fifties and sixties,
0: yeah
1: yeah um, and then I was training to be a therapist and struggling to find something I wanted to devote fourteen thousand words to, something which really really huh. grabbed me, yeah, and I thought well, there's nothing at all there's one page in a book by. Yapko, written by mrs Yapko. there's one page somewhere online in google books uh which mentions asperger's and hypnotherapy in any great depth so why not just be the first person to start writing anything exploring it yeah yeah indeed and also i just started getting phone calls from parents of people with asperger's out of the blue i hadn't even mentioned it on the website Hmm. i'm not big on this universal attraction or destiny or these woohoo ideas but it did seem as if people were coming to me um, with Asperger's.
0: Mm, mm. It was there, quite strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, there was something cosmic occurring. Let's yeah, yeah, to yeah let's bat. say that. So um, um, now, <coughs> you mention on your website that, that, that the, the, the dissertation that, that you were just referring to there, you then subsequently presented it. To the NCHP's um, annual conference, yes. and and you say on your website, as a result, they partially lifted their ban on the use of hypnotherapy with ASD conditions, and yeah. and I, I was fascinated with this. Um, w- would you mind sharing um, what were what were the initial concerns with using hypnotherapy with those that have um, 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 Asperger's or um, yeah yeah.
1: To be honest, I don't think anyone had really made the the distinction between your classical um, case of autism and those at the very higher end. Mm. And there are some... There are some uh, fora online in which people with Asperger's have opined that they are immune to hypnosis. I don't find this to be the case whatsoever. But I just think no one had given it any serious thought. I think it was just, oh, autistic people are in a world of their own. We can't reach them. So let's just say it's unethical to exploit them by offering. And perhaps some people had offered in the past to attempt to cure them. There are some... Nuts out there, in my view, who think that autism can be cured. Mm. And so perhaps it was just one of those things where they didn't know very much about it. And uh, therefore it insisted upon a blanket ban. I don't think it was just uh, the NCHP either.
0: No, sure, sure. So the um, um, you, you, you're not attempting to cure the Asperger's itself. It's more some of the comorbid conditions. Um, um, Would I be right in saying that?
1: Well, yeah, right and wrong in that to have Asperger's is to be anxious.
0: Right, okay. If
1: you are living in a world where every social situation contains a myriad of pitfalls, of bear Mm. traps, if society is governed by a whole host of unspoken rules and no one tells you what they are and no one actually knows what they are because it's so intuitive and implicit um then every social interaction is going to be fraught with anxiety
0: yeah
1: and you can very so in my view it's not just my view uh to have asperger's is to suffer anxiety yeah that's not comorbidity that's uh no, part and parcel, no, yeah, but yeah. yes, half of people with Asperger's will be suffering some comorbid condition. OCD is quite common, depression, quite obviously.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there are some people out there with addictions; they've used alcohol to try and calm themselves down. If just the general range, really, of yeah, comorbid
0: yeah. Uh, That that makes a lot of sense. And so, um, you mentioned earlier that um, um, there was th- 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 there was this triad of, of, of areas that, that mm. typically were problematic and uh, in particular yeah. with you, you were mentioning, um, um, imagination and, and tonation were two of the things that, that really stuck out with, with, with that <coughs> as far as I was concerned, because I think, um, you know, for many people, many, many hypnotherapists, yeah. um, um, the use of imagination, the use of tonation in particular, um, are, are really important, really central to yes. their approach, and you, and you started talking about needing to be more directive. Could you could you perhaps I'm um, um, just embellish that a little bit and just talk about some of the considerations that you've had to take on board with regards to to working um, with people that have been diagnosed with Asperger's.
1: Sure, by all means. Um, okay, so with imagination, they can imagine, but. I would prefer to establish where they're... I don't know, if you want to use a happy place as a deepener, for example, I would prefer to establish that beforehand. Mm. Because otherwise, there may be a whole host of imag- of of wonderful places and which one to choose. Yeah. And choice is a big thing also. So you may actually be, rather than deepening your client, unknowingly causing them extra stress as they struggle to choose which one is the best for them. Yeah, um, They can imagine, but they... but. Uh, Yes. yeah. They, my daughter, Alice, for example, has got a fantastic imagination. You, um, but, for example, there are some people who do find it difficult to visualise. And I've met a few people with Asperger's in particular who find it difficult to visualise. Yeah. But they do call how it might feel to be in their perfect place, how it might sound, how it might smell. Um, so establish that kind of thing in the pre-talk first.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and just ask them. I mean, they'll give you an honest answer. Can you visualise this place? Can you remember how it feels to be in this place? Can you, and again, emotions are rather difficult because they can't always put names to them or understand them in themselves or other people. So just begin to explore how they feel in different circumstances, how they know they feel anxious, how they know they feel angry or whatever it may be. Um, So yes, imagination is... Um potentially an issue, but that's largely because choice overwhelming choice i don 't know if you've read about the jam test, but even peop- even neurotypicals find it incredibly difficult to choose when faced with an overwhelming variety of possibilities, and that's particularly yeah. true with with autism
0: yeah absolutely absolutely um um typically then Paul, what do you find yourself? able to do and, and typically what are you what, what are you helping with um, um do, you, do, do you think most most commonly, most commonly. Um, as a as a hypnotherapist specializing in in working with people that have aspergers
1: it's most typically social confidence social right. anxiety I'm, I'm helping to resolve or at work or it's social anxiety of various kinds
0: and and is it is it therefore do do you deal with social anxiety with somebody that has Asperger's in exactly the same way that perhaps you would do with somebody um, um, that did not have Asperger's?
1: In someone without Asperger's, one might hope, as a hypnotherapist, to eradicate this altogether. I don't believe that's entirely possible with people with Asperger's. Right? They are right. They are correct in being anxious. Yeah. Now, of course, the degree to which they are anxious and the self-fulfilling nature of their, of anxiety and how they spiral it out of control in their own minds, that is, of course, open to their control. Yeah. And so I will typically help my clients to master relaxation techniques, um, to master confidence building strategies, to recognize when they have achieved something worthy of note. Um Generally, using a form of exposure therapy, but with but with hypnotherapeutic interventions, solution focused is key. Um, there are lots of people with Asperger's who have gone to other therapists and have had their childhoods dissected, as the therapist just couldn't believe that there couldn't be something wrong in their past. Oh no, they had lovely families, but they just got Asperger's and they're anxious. And you're not going to get rid of it altogether. You can help them to minimise it. And you can help them to minimise it to the extent that they flourish. Um, You can help them to minimise it to the extent that they achieve whatever it is they are cut out to be able to achieve. It's just it will always be that little bit alien to them. You and I get anxious perhaps. Well, I know I do. If I'm walking to a room full of people that I don't know, I will feel a pang of anxiety. Um, not to the extent that I can't function, but it will be a little bit of adrenaline there, Um, that will always be the case, at least with people on the autistic spectrum, at least in my understanding.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thus far. Um, um, I I find this absolutely fascinating, and um, um, I could could just just talk and talk and talk. Um, And I'm I'm, I'm delighted to... um, um, to hear that you're going to be uh, running some CPD with regards to this in the future, and yeah. um, um, for now, if people want to learn more about your approach um, um, in this in this area, where, where where can they go? What can they do?
1: Um, well, they can either ask me nicely for a bit of a phone conversation. They can go and visit the website. They could even, I suppose, ask for my dissertation. Although I'm planning to uh, expand this into a book at some point. And Good. my dissertation was written before I'd actually met very many people with Asperger's and pretty much you can chuck most of it away, I, I suspect. It needs to be quite heavily rewritten and edited. Well, we'll,
0: um, we'll, we'll wait for the book patiently. We'll wait for the book <laughs> well, and wait the for the courses. But but, but 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 in the in, uh, in the meantime they can also go to resolve dot uk because you've got some you've got some pages with regards to your specialisms on there as well, haven't you?
1: I do have some pages on it, yes. Yeah. Um yeah. All I would ask is that no one telephones me and asks for a script with which to cure asperger's which i've had a lot of <laughs> yeah. <times. laughs> yeah yeah
0: yeah I, if i were you, i would just i would just ignore any requests of that kind don't <laughs> yeah yeah don't even reply um um
1: and if you're interested then get in touch by all means but don't call <laughs> me ask tell me you've got a client with asperger's on monday and it's sunday evening yeah. and expect me to be able to kind of encapsulate it all in a nutshell because <laughs> All I can ever do really in, in an interview like this or over the phone is give a fairly stereotypical approach where every single Aspergian that's not a, that's not a, a very nice word, but anyway, every person with this condition is, of course, thoroughly unique. Yeah. Um, and what you may learn from my dissertation will not apply to any or every person with the condition yeah. uniformly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Paul, thank you ever so much for uh, being so generous with, with sharing um, um, in, in in this area. Um, um, there will be a link to, um, to Paul's website uh, and um, do go and uh, have a good read of that. Um, um, all that remains for me to say, Paul Hughes, thank you for coming and being this week's guest on the Hypnosis Weekly podcast.
1: Well, thank you for asking me, Adam. It's been a pleasure.
0: I really enjoyed that. I love the, the devotion that Paul clearly has and the way he describes his clients who've been diagnosed with Asperger's in such fond terms. Um, it was a real pleasure speaking with Paul. There is a link to um, Paul Hughes' website at this episode's page at the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, um, so, our evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. And it's this, that children Taught self-hypnosis could successfully warm or cool their index finger temperature. Uh, When used in conjunction with biofeedback, the results were even more significant. Um, And uh, um, um, they expect that this is because they were being given evidence um, and and, and believed in it more as a result of seeing the biofeedback. So I'm in this study entitled Self-Hypnosis, Biofeedback and Voluntary Peripheral Temperature Control in Children. A 1980 study by William Dickel and Karen Olness in a paediatrics journal. Um, um, um possible therapeutic applications of this this use of self-hypnosis include the treatment of migraine, uh, Raynaud's syndrome, sickle cell anemia, and the use of temperature monitoring as a diagnostic and therapeutic adjunct to clinical hypnosis even. So yes, children taught self-hypnosis could successfully warm or cool their fingers, and what a great skill to be able to learn and apply. And heck, you know, why Oh, why these evidence-based applications not being utilised more, eh? Um, Full study details can be found over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. And that is just about it for this week's 62nd edition. Uh, I do have many more exciting guests that I'll be welcoming to Hypnosis Weekly in the coming weeks. Uh, We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all, remaining friends. And to repeat, all the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. My guest next time out is hypnotherapist and specialist, in active alert hypnosis, Claude Rebeau. Um, I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. So do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. Thanks again to Paul Hughes and my thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now.